In case you've lost your bookmark, we'll be in John chapter 16 this morning. John chapter 16. <clears throat> Anybody else have a kind of a, a hard, uh, weird Sunday morning? <laughs> Some of you are like, every Sunday morning. No. <laughs> uh, we actually, I, I, you know, this Sunday morning was a little bit weird. I kind of woke up, I was a little you know, grumpy for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe I just woke up. I woke up several times, so maybe that's why. Maybe I should have just gotten up the first time. And You know, the kids were, were pretty good this morning, so I can't blame it on them, you know. Uh, but I don't know. I just, I just had this, you know, feel. I was like waiting for, you know, some shoe to drop or something like that. But uh, uh, I spent a little time with the Lord saying, uh, get me right. <laughs> Uh, but it is it is wonderful to come and gather together, is it not? And and I do appreciate um, the song service, especially just refocusing us on on what's important. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the uh, the daily things and the the issues going on in our home and our jobs and our you know life in general. And really, that last song is true, is it not? It's all about Christ. And um, if it weren't for him, we wouldn't be here this morning anyway. John chapter 16. We're going to read just the first 15 verses. And then uh, we'll dig into it a little deeper. John chapter 16, starting at verse 1, says, I have said all these things, again, Christ is speaking. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged." I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you." We've been going through several chapters now where Christ is basically just speaking. Um, We are going to remember here in just a few minutes uh, the Lord's Supper. We're going to take part in that as a body. And that's what Jesus had just instituted just a couple chapters earlier. He had instituted the Lord's Supper. He had given them this this process, this... uh, I don't want to say ritual, that sounds, you know, very sterile, but, you know, this ritual basically to do until he comes that that would help us remember what he's about to do. 
And ever since that time, we obviously we've seen that uh, Judas has gone away. He's gone to betray Christ to fulfill that prophecy. And, and he's, he's out of the picture, so it's just the 11. And Jesus and the 11, and Jesus has begun this discourse. And he's, he's talked to them about uh, many things. He's talked to them about how, uh, first of all, how somebody is going to be betraying him. <laughs> and, and, you know, Judas leaves and people, you know, they, they don't quite make that connection. Um, he's talked about, well, let's just go back and look. He's talked about uh, the fact that he is, he reminds them that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He reminds them that it's only through him that anyone can come to the Father. He also begins promising the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. Have you noticed in every chapter that we've gone through in this last communication that Christ has with his disciples before his betrayal and, and crucifixion that he keeps bringing up the Holy Spirit? Have you noticed that? I think it's every chapter. So in chapter uh, 14, he, he promises the Holy Spirit as well. In chapter 15, he talked about how it's important for the body to be, for, for us as individuals to be connected to the vine, to be abiding in him and abiding in his words and, and obeying his words. Back to chapter 14, he said it's important that you uh, serve one another. He gives them an example of that as he washes their feet. He said, you, if you're going to be my disciples, if you want the world to know you're gonna, that you're my disciples, then you need to love one another. And he's, he's throwing all these things at them here in this short, brief period of time. And, and you know, we sit here and we can we spend several weeks going through and digging in and and uh, and kind of evaluating the words that Jesus said and connecting the dots between other passages of Scripture that we have seen and read and and we know about and and so we we kind of have a little bit of an advantage on these guys they're hearing it for the first time, right? And and I kind of get the get the idea at some point Jesus said you know let's go but they don't quite make it out. <laughs> I kind of get the idea that they've, they've gotten up and they're, they're kind of, you know, slowly shimmying to the doors. You know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that, maybe at a, like a life group or, or something like that. You know, it's, everybody's like, you know, you know, mom's like, it's time to go. Kids need to go to bed. <laughs> and, you, and everybody kind of gets up and, and there's this short, you know, this, this long, I should say, shuffle kind of gradually getting to the door while there's still communication and talking and things going on. I kind of view that as, as what's, what's happening here, as they've gotten up from dinner and Jesus just has so much more to tell them. He's got so much more that he needs to communicate to them because he's about to go to the garden. And we know that once he gets to the garden, it's the beginning of the end. He's about to be betrayed. He's about to be put on trial. He's about to be crucified. And he knows that all of this is coming. And so he's trying to instill in them these, these last bits of, of knowledge and these last bits of, of commandments and, and help them so that when he's gone, they'll stick the course. So that when he's gone, they'll be able to continue on doing what he has called them to do. And if you just put yourself in their shoes, I mean... I'll just be honest with you. If my wife is trying to communicate a lot of things to me, I'm not going to get a lot of it. You know, I might grab onto like the first thing. And then if she gives me like four things, it's not going to happen. All right. Let's, well, let's be honest. It's going to be, it's going to be pretty miracle if the first thing happens. But, 
You know, it's, 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 it's rough. It's rough for me to pay attention to multiple things. And here, you know, I, I can put myself into the minds of these disciples as they're, they're probably standing up. They're probably expecting that, okay, we're leaving. You know, so they probably got that on their mind. You know, we're, we're probably going to the garden. That seemed to be a common thing, you know, for them to do. Um, you know, so they, they're, they're probably like maybe even half listening. <laughs> I don't know. But here, and here Jesus is, in essence, kind of pouring his heart out to these guys. And, and so he's, he's giving them all this information, all these commandments, all these uh, things that he wants them to do and wants them to understand. Um, and he, and he, he kind of repeats himself several times. You know, like I said, he, he's brought up the Holy Spirit several times during these, these passages. You know, and he's trying to help them understand what is about to happen. And of course, chapter 16 is, you know, there were no chapter segments in what Jesus was saying. You know, he, he wasn't like, hang on, guys, chapter 16, here we go. You know, that's not, that's not how it worked. It was just this conversation that he was having. So chapter 16 is a flow of, of what was going on in chapter 15, because at the end of chapter 15, he again tells them that the helper is going to come. But chapter 16, he, he's starting to bring it all back together, because if you've read ahead, you know what's coming in chapter 17. There's no more conversation. It's prayer. Jesus is going to be praying to the Father. And so this is literally the last piece. And so he's drawing everything to a close as he takes all this stuff that he's been trying to teach these men in in the last maybe just few hours, maybe even few minutes. We don't know how long it actually took, you know. And and he's, he's bringing it all and he's drawing it into a conclusion. And... And as I read through this passage, I see four promises, and they're not all peace, all right? No alliteration this time. Four promises that, that I see that Jesus is making to these 11 men, to these disciples, and I think even to us today as we read these words that John has, has recorded for us. So today we're going to look at two of those promises. Next week we'll look at the other two. Um, but the first promise that I see here is just in the first four verses. Um, anybody want to give a stab at it? What? That one does start with a P. So yes, persecution. Good job. All right, the promise of persecution. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty easy. I gave him an easy one, right? You know, it's kind of obvious there in the first four verses. The promise of persecution. Let's read that again. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. That's a very significant phrase. Think about that. He says, everything that I have been communicating to you during this time, from, from the time that I, well, really from the time that he started his ministry, <laughs> but specifically from the time that he started there with the Passover meal to now, as he's finishing up, as he's bringing all this to a conclusion, he said, I am telling you all these things for a purpose. I'm not just, I'm not just, you know, blabbing information. I'm not just filling time. He says, there's a purpose for this. And that is so that you do not fall away. Now, Jesus knows that here in just a few hours, they're all going to scatter. They're all going to go to their own homes. They're going to be afraid because that, you know, the betrayer and and that group of of armed guards are going to come to get Jesus and... They're no match. <laughs> and so they're going to scatter. And Jesus knows that. And I don't think that's what he's talking about. 
I think he's talking about later on because he keeps bringing up this thought that he is going away. And so Jesus is, is with that mindset in, in, in view, he's understanding I'm going away and I need to make sure that these men are prepared, that they are ready to stand firm when I'm gone. If you look around today in Christianity, it's not that hard to see people who once named the name of Christ who are falling away. It's happening more and more frequently than I've ever seen in my life, or at least ever been aware of. Um, I've even seen it in my own family. Not this one, but my extended family. <clears throat> and it just seems to be getting more and more uh, frequent that people are falling away. And Jesus says, I want to make sure that you 11, that you 11 do not fall away. And so I, I'm going to give you some promises. I'm giving you these things. All this stuff that I've told you is to help you not fall away. I'm not going to dig into that this morning. I'm actually, that's one of the uh, A&I questions. How does that work? All right, so don't ignore the message. Don't think ahead, but think about it. <laughs> how does that work? Um, all these things I've been telling you, I've been telling you how to interact with one another. I've been telling you how, how to understand who I am. I've been telling you that there's going to be a helper coming. I'm telling you all these things to prepare you so that you don't fall away. Why? Because persecution is coming. Persecution is coming. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. They'll put you out of the synagogues. What does that mean? Anybody? Yes. You'll be an outcast from all the um, religious activities. Okay. Yeah, the synagogue was the center of the religious activity for the Jew in whatever city they were in, right? And so Jesus is saying, you are going to be ostracized from your religious affiliations. But it was more than that. For the Jews, their religion was more than just a religion. It was part of their life. It, was, it had everything to do with their life. In fact, if you remember back when uh, Jesus healed the man that was born blind, do you remember why his parents didn't want to testify? Remember? Because they, they were afraid they were going to be put out of the synagogue, be put out of the temple. Because they, they knew if, if, they, if they said the wrong thing, they were going to be outcasts. They were going to be booted out, not just of their, of their local worship center. They were going to be booted out of possibly family relations, societal relations, maybe even job. I mean, that's how important this, this concept of being kicked out of the synagogue was. But Jesus says, that's not the worst thing. That's bad enough. You know, that'll change your, your whole life as you know it, but that's not the worst thing. He says, not only will you be kicked out of the synagogues, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. When whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Not only will you be kicked out of practically everything you know, but you will be killed and the people killing you will think they're doing it to glorify God. 
the same God that you believe in. The Father that I have come from, that's the one that they think they are going to be serving when they kill you. Why? He says, because they will do these things, verse 3, because they have not known the Father nor me. He says, but I have said these things to you that when the hour has come, you may remember that I told them to you. He says, I'm promising you persecution is going to come. And I'm telling you this because when it comes, I want you to remember that I told you it was going to come. I want you to be able to look back and say, it's okay, because Jesus said this would happen. It's all right, because Jesus told us this is what was going to happen. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 7. Very popular, well-known passage of Scripture. We're going to start reading in verse 54. This is, uh, you probably have a title right above verse 54. It says, the stoning of Stephen, something like that. Here's a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was preaching and teaching, and they brought him in. They lied about him, said that he was teaching blasphemy, and they put him on trial. And Stephen preaches an amazing message to the Jews and calls them out and basically says, you killed your Messiah. And it's such a, it's such a Holy Spirit-filled message that if you look here in, in verse 54, it says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Can you imagine what that sounded like? I don't know if you can hear that. I can't hear it. So, yeah, I mean, to, to be able to write that they ground, I mean, maybe there was like this, this guttural, I don't know. I don't know what that looked like. I mean, that's, that's what comes to my head. But they were so angry, they were grinding their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stomped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the, foot, at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. I think it's interesting, this passage about Saul, and I don't know, this is my own conjecture, okay? So just putting that out there. But I kind of get the feeling, we know that Paul or Saul had, had worked his way up in the ranks. We know that he had some clout. I mean, he, was, he calls himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Um, he, was, he was obviously high up in some degree. As I read this, the more I read this, the more I think that Saul may have been the one who was in charge of this. He may have been the ringleader. You know, maybe they laid his their feet, their coat at his feet because he was watching to make sure everything happened the way it was supposed to. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's my conjecture. But, but when you read the next few words, you know, 
Saul approved of his execution. I mean, who was Saul? You know, at this point, we never even heard of him. So he ha- I, I think he had to, be, had to have been somewhat high up in the ranks even at this point, because then right after that, it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, and except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Jump to the end of of chapter 8. I'm sorry, beginning of chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And of course, if you continue reading that chapter, you'll see this man who is just, I mean, I just picture this guy who is just livid. He is just, I mean, he is blazing a trail for Yahweh and he is going to take out all these people because he's doing exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Who did he get those letters from? It wasn't from the, the Roman consulate, you know. It wasn't from the governor. Who did he get those letters from? The high priest. Saul thought he was serving God. And it says that he was ravaging the church. He was dragging men and women out of their homes, putting them in chains to be on trial for blasphemy, for heresy. And Jesus said... I'm telling you this because you need to be prepared. You need to be ready because there is coming persecution. And when that persecution comes, you need to be ready so that you will not fall away. It's interesting, he, he, Jesus even notes kind of their reaction to all this in verse number 5 or middle of chapter, verse 4. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. He said, look, you guys didn't need to know this stuff way back before I turned water into wine because I was here. And think about that a little bit because he was there. Obviously, he was there, you know, being their example. He was there being their teacher. Um, but was he not also there being their protector? How many times did the angry mob rise up against Jesus? Did we read at least twice that I can think of um, that the angry mob rose up against Jesus and yet what happened? Nothing. They, didn't, they, they either couldn't do anything to him or, or he got away and, and we don't have recorded that any of the disciples were hurt. So I think it's interesting. He says, I didn't tell you these things before because I was here. But I'm going away. Things are about to change pretty drastically for you guys. I'm going away. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. All this stuff that he's been communicating to them, and he comes down and he brings it to a point, and he says, I'm going to promise you guys something. 
Because I'm going away, there's going to be persecution. And in fact, they're going to kill you. And they're going to think they're doing a favor to God. And these guys are just like, whoa, wait a minute. And Jesus says, once again, I'm telling you this because I'm going away. And usually what happens when Jesus says, I'm going away? They're like, where are you going? Wait a minute, where are you going? Why can't we come with you? I mean, that's happened several times in the book of John, has it not? I mean, we can look back, it's amazing how all this you know, builds on itself. Ever notice that? You know, we've seen these things happen. And Jesus is saying, you guys, you guys are so distraught over what I've just told you, you're not even following standard procedure of asking me, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Where are you going? He says, nevertheless, in verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, again, think about what he said. I'm going away, and you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be killed. But it is to your advantage that this happens. I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd be a little confused too. <laughs> how, is, how is that a good thing? I, I'm missing something here. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Remember, Jesus had already talked a couple times about the Spirit. He's already told them, hey, I'm going to send the Spirit. I'm going to send the Helper. I'm going to send the Comforter. There's been several names that he's used for the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to send this guy when I leave. And they've heard these things. And, and I think they've heard them, but, but I don't know that it really meant a whole lot to them. And he says, but, but I'm leaving, and it's important that I leave. Because if I don't leave, then he won't come. So we have the promise of persecution. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit of the helper. And Jesus says, I promise you there's going to be persecution, but I'm going to send the helper. And I have to go away for that to help happen. Why is this helper uh, so important? He says in verse 8, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He says, I have, I have a purpose for the Holy Spirit. I have a purpose for the helper. He's going to give us that here. Two main kind of overarching purposes that I see for the Holy Spirit. And the first one here. He's going to come and he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? He does a lot of things. He does a lot of things. If you look through the Bible, you see the Holy Spirit is involved in a lot. <laughs> in fact, when we see uh, these men at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit empowers them to do things that they would not normally have been able to do. We see in, in 1 Corinthians the gifts of the Spirit, some of them even supernatural in a way that, that we look at it to, even today, some of them we think, eh, I don't even know if that's still around. <laughs> because, because it was so supernatural what was going on because it was because of the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit has a purpose. And, and, God, and Jesus said the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the reason why he's going to come is because he is going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Why him? Why him? The first part, he says, because of sin, of sin because they did not believe in me. See, Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry. He's nearing the, the culmination of why he came. He's nearing the point where everything that he has done to this point will be a fulfillment of prophecy, will close the gap between man and God. His sacrifice is going to put an end to the sacrifices that they've been making. And he's going to fulfill the law. He's done everything that he's supposed to do, and he will be the Messiah that they need. And yet, they will not believe. And all this time, as we've gone through the book of John, we've seen him over and over and over declare to the crowds who he is, both in his, both in his, his miracles and in his teaching. He has declared to them that he is the Son of God. He has declared to them why he is there. And yet, they do not believe. And Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he will convict the world of sin because they did not believe in me. No matter how much more Jesus could do, how many miracles he could do, how many more sermons he could preach, the hearts of the Jews and others around him were already hard. You ever think about that? Why, why, why could the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin when Jesus, right there himself, was there? Why is it important that Jesus be gone? Well, they had already hardened their hearts to him. They were already no longer listening to what Jesus had to say. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes, if you read next chapter 2, he, through the preaching of these 11 nobodies is going to convict of sin because they didn't believe when Jesus was on earth. He says of sin because they did not believe. Of righteousness because I will no longer be here. Or because I go away, I think. Let me look at the actual words. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Jesus, while he was here on earth, was the perfect example of righteousness, was he not? We say that one of the reasons why he can be our Redeemer is because he has lived a perfect life. He never once sinned. And so he then, as God and man, the perfect sinless one, is able to pay for the debt that we owe. And so he has exemplified for us perfection, righteousness. And he says, but you know what? I'm getting ready to leave. I'm going back to the Father. And when I go back to the Father, basically there will be no one who is the righteous example on earth. And so he says, so I'm sending the helper. I think it's interesting that he uses that word helper. Who is he helping? 
Anybody? What? Who's he helping? Us, right? Where does he dwell? He dwells in us, right? So he's saying, I'm going to send the helper. He's going to come and he's going to help you. He's going to use you to convict the world of sin. He's going to use you to become the light of the world, the salt of the earth. He's going to use you to become that picture of righteousness if we're yielded to him. He's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness, righteousness because Christ is going to be gone and the only ones that the world can look at is who? Those who claim to follow Christ. Those who claim to follow Christ. He is gone and it is now our responsibility to show the world what righteousness looks like. And you know what? I can't do that. I mean, I just told you this morning, I, <laughs> I didn't even, you know, I wasn't really angry or anything, but I was grumpy. You know, I wasn't in a great mood this morning. Didn't have a good reason for it. And it wasn't like somebody was being horrible to me and I could blame somebody. I mean, I just, it was just me. Me and my flesh. I can't, I can't be righteous. I can't show the world what righteousness looks like. I need help. And he says, I'm going to send the helper and he, through you, is going to show the world righteousness. You ever think about that? Jesus is going to be gone. They won't see it. Who are they going to see it through? Only those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And he says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. One day we know, those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, we know that we will stand before God. We know that everyone will stand before God and they will be judged. And part of our responsibility is to tell the world that. It's not just all about grace, although that's a major part of it, but it's also about judgment. And no, we don't accept Christ simply to escape judgment. We accept Christ because we want to become followers of Him. But part of it is escaping judgment, at least eternal fire. And he says, the, the, the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus is stating it as a fact that has already happened. If you were at uh, Men's Bible Study this this yesterday, um, we talked about Genesis 1.1. One of the things that we talked about was that God exists outside of time. In God's realm, this has already happened. Jesus speaking truth. He's saying, look, this, this ruler of this world, Satan, he's already judged. He has already lost. And Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet. He's already judged. And everyone in this world who follows after him will one day be judged as well. And God, Jesus is saying, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to help you. He's a helper to help you be the witnesses 
At the end of chapter 15, he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit was to come and help these men and us proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, both through the Word and through our lives. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. But he says, I have another reason. I have another reason. Verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you. Again, I kind of see him, you know, maybe, they're, maybe somebody's got their hand on the doorknob at this point. I don't know. He says, but I, I, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He says there's another purpose. Not only is he going to come and help you, but he's going to come and teach you. Again, you look at these men. These men were not master teachers. These men were not master orators. Uh, these men were not master writers. And yet, what do we see happen in the days and weeks and months and years ahead? These men who at one point are very timid and, and scared and hiding in an upper room, but when the Holy Spirit comes, what do we have? We have the great Sermon of Pentecost where they're all out there preaching and teaching that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And that's only because of the Holy Spirit. And then these men also have gone and traveled and, and spread the word, all these things that, that Jesus had taught them that, that are coming back to their minds. I mean, they're, they're standing here with him and they're, and they're confused about what's going on. I, imagine, I mean, if it, like I said, if it were me, I wouldn't have remembered anything. I just remember, man, I wish Jesus was here. <laughs> he'd, know, he'd know what to say. But that's why the Holy Spirit came, because he was there with them, even as they spread out, even as new believers came on and the Holy Spirit came in and they spoke the words of Christ. And the Holy Spirit helped them to understand it, helped them to, to teach it, both verbally and in written form. And we hold that even in our hands today. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm in 1 Peter, that's not going to help. 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter's writing, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We, can, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture 
comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm sending the helper, first of all, to help you, to work through you and in you, to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, but I'm also sending him to teach you, to remind you of everything that I have taught you. I'm sending you the helper to even help you understand greater depths of what I've taught you that I haven't had time to teach you. Everything that I have taught you, everything that I have for you, he will make known. He will declare it. And he not only did that for that, those 11 men, he did that for Paul. He did that for all the followers of Christ in the first century church. And he does that for us today. As we read the words of Scripture, the Bible tells us that the natural man does not understand the things of God. But yet we have the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word of God, to help us understand what Jesus is saying, to help us grow to become more like Christ. And as we do, we are able to fulfill these purposes of the Holy Spirit. Two promises that Christ gave. There's coming persecution. I'm telling you all these things so that you do not fall away. Yet in the midst of that persecution, as we will know, as he will no longer be with them, he promised a helper to guide them as they fulfill their roles to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations. These promises are true to us today if we are true followers of Christ. We will face persecution. May not be uh, as severe as they faced, may not be as severe as others around the world face, but we will face persecution if we are truly followers of Christ. You know, Andy mentioned that song, and I was thinking of it as well. As we come back to the table this morning and think about what Christ was about to do, He's telling them all these things because He wants them to understand, I'm not going to be here. In fact, I'm getting ready to give my life for your salvation, for your redemption. And it's just interesting, this morning we're going to celebrate His death on the cross, His broken body, and His blood. But along with that, we also remember and rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ is not still on the cross, that He's risen. And because, excuse me, because He is risen, He is with the Father. And because He is with the Father, we have the Spirit. And the Spirit is that which binds us together even here this morning in brotherly love. It is what guides us as we walk out of these doors to live for Christ and to be gospel witness. So as we take the elements this morning, remember that we have the Holy Spirit. And as that song says, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. It lives in us. <clears throat> what are we doing with it? Are we hiding our light under a bushel? 
Or are we using it? Are we being changed to become more like Christ? Are we spreading the gospel?